pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. With a tip of the hat to Dr. Lessing, the title of our sermon, Taste and See. Taste and See might call to mind David in Psalm 34, right? O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, I never realized when I was a little kid that my mom actually had a biblical warrant for making me try my Brussels sprouts. I mean, they're, they're too big to hide under the edge of the plate, right? Or mix them in with the mashed potatoes. Taste and see. Sounds a little bit like that Life cereal commercial, right? Give it to Mikey. He won't eat it. He hates everything. He likes it. So did we all. For 12 years, it was one of the longest-running commercials in history. But verse 4 of our text from Jeremiah is no commercial. We read, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... It's the word that Jeremiah will, in fact, taste in chapter 15. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah, however, is not the only biblical character to taste the word of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 3, And he, that's Yahweh, said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. St. John has a similar experience, but the entirely opposite reaction in Revelation chapter 10. I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Our text is usually referred to as the call of Jeremiah, and as such, it parallels the call of other prophets. It has a very distinctive structure. There is the initial encounter with the Lord in verse 4, which we read earlier, followed by the introductory word, which is on your bulletin cover. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. And then there's Jeremiah's objection, which sounds an awful lot like Moses, right? Ah, Lord! Behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Moses, of course, was no youth at the burning bush. He was probably about 80 years old. But I think we can all resonate with their hesitation to speak. So God reassured both prophets. In our text, that's verses 7 and 8. And finally, a sign. For Moses, a stick and a snake and a leprous hand. For Jeremiah, something even more intimate. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my word in your mouth. And having Yahweh's word in his mouth, Jeremiah is ready for whatever life has to offer. Chapter 26, he's on the verge of being executed. It's the beginning of Jehoiakim's reign, and his courtiers see their chance. Jeremiah has just spoken the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me, I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Then they drag him to the entrance of the new gate to the temple of the Lord's house, and they, they declare a sentence of death. But then, just in the nick of time, some of the elders point out that, hey, you remember what Micah, the prophet Micah, told King Hezekiah? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. So the sentence is commuted. He's saved by the word of the Lord. 
for you Bible trivia buffs, this is the only reference by a writing prophet of another writing prophet. Check that box. In chapter 29, Jeremiah gets a report of those carried off into exile in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. It's a very discouraging report. So Jeremiah sends a scroll containing the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In chapters 51 and 52, Yahweh is so disgusted with the atrocities of Babylon that he sends his word of judgment again through Jeremiah Verse 6, flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. And then a little later, suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her. In chapter 36, King Jehoiakim tears the scroll of the word of the Lord bit by bit and puts it into the fire. So Jeremiah dictates a second word of the Lord. And Baruch faithfully writes it down. The word of the Lord endures forever. As St. Peter writes, Jeremiah needed that word of the Lord. In his day, he witnessed the decline and fall of Assyria after the death of the king and the defeat of Nineveh. The battle of Megiddo occurred on his watch, where King Josiah fell, and with him that brief little glimmer of hope for reform. He heard the tramp, tramp, tramp of Nebuchadnezzar's army through the streets of Jerusalem after he had defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish, he tasted the bitterness of occupation and kidnap. Yet through it all, he can say, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Well, that word is given to us here, today. It is put into our mouths in a few minutes, quite literally, as we come to the rail. A word that contains the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as Paul writes to the Romans. Or as the psalmist puts it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, but sometimes God's word in our mouth is kind of like a heart-healthy diet that fails to grab our taste buds fancy. I mean, for breakfast, honey yogurt avocado toast one slice of bread, two tablespoons of plain yogurt, one teaspoon of honey, half a medium avocado, coffee, black. That's it. Oh, by lunch, by lunch, we're really craving something really good, right? How about this? Cauliflower rice bowl with root vegetables. Cauliflower what? Think cauliflower meets food processor plus one-third pound total sweet potatoes, butternut squash, or carrots, your choice. One ounce of feta, some turmeric, and chickpeas. A glass of water. Ah, but there's dessert. One fig Newton. So, how about an afternoon snack? The rest of the package of fig Newtons! We try to stick to our spiritual diet of the word, a heart-healthy diet that invigorates and revitalizes, that keeps our weight in check and our ticker ticking. Hence my appeal on the screamer this month to set aside the time, find a place, 
and a stick to a diet of reading God's word. But then there's that one fig Newton or a dash of disgruntlement with our spouse or with our child or with our boss, just a pinch of porn that flitters across our screen or a shake of sarcasm and we're off the wagon gorging ourselves on gastronomic delights without regard for our spiritual health, all served up by Satan himself on a silver platter. He grins and keeps the gravy train rolling. A side of greed with your grits? Anyone? So God sent another word, an eternal word, a vindicating and victorious word that had been at his side since before creation. A word that descended from the heavenly realm to be born in a manger. On the mountaintop, Peter, James, and John heard that word of the Lord described, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. It is a stronger word than the word of Micah, which only postponed the death of Jeremiah. This one is the death of death. It is an even more encouraging word than the scroll sent to the exiles who were told to shelter in place. This word is our shelter against every assault of the world, Satan, and of our flesh. It is a more damning judgment than the word spoken against Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Fallen, fallen is Satan. His serving staff is in disarray. The wine of death is poured out that his simeons were serving. It's not a rewritten word. By the hand of Baruch, it is the only begotten word from the Father, the word made flesh who dwells among us. And his diet is like no other. Talk about heart healthy, Hebrews chapter 2. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Taste and see. Not only does he taste the dynamic, demonic delight called death for us, he tastes the saltiness of the soldier's spittle. He savored the scorn of the bystanders who watched him die. He sucked up the lash of the whip and the nectar of the nails. He drained the cup of God's wrath, just as Jeremiah had said, chapter 25, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink. Be drunk and vomit. Fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. It's a word of judgment spoken against the nations, against you and me. Judgment against our rebellion, but he, the word came down, drank it in our place. Not only did he taste and see, he swallowed it. He chewed it up and spit it out and gave us a new word. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And this new word stimulates a new appetite, as Peter writes, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Indeed, he is good. Taste and see. As David said, come to the table. The invitation is open to all who believe and are baptized. Hear again those words of assurance. This is my body. This is my blood. In this eating and drinking, you are forgiven. 
That's quite a word. That's quite a meal, an eternal banquet. In the 11th century, Anselm of Canterbury reflected on this rather unusual way of talking about the word. He writes, taste the goodness of your redeemer. Break forth in fires of love to your savior. Bite the honeycomb of the words that tell of it. Suck their savor more pleasant than honey. Swallow their wholesome sweetness. Bite by thinking. Suck by understanding. Swallow as you love and rejoice. Gladden yourself by biting. Exalt in sucking. Fill yourselves to the full with joy by swallowing. Where and what is the strength and power of your salvation? Christ. Christ assuredly has raised you up again. He, the good Samaritan, has healed you. He, the good friend, has redeemed you with his life and set you free. Christ, I say, Christ is he. And so the strength of your salvation is the strength of Christ. Close quote. Jesus tasted death that we might have life eternal. He has put his word in our mouths. Taste and see. Come, let us enjoy the Epiphany Feast. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.